0: Isaiah chapter 60, please. Isaiah chapter 60. Last week we started an adventure, and adventure carries with it the idea of uh, going into a place you haven't been before and looking for something. And that's what we're doing. We're going into the book of Isaiah. And what we're looking for is we're looking for God. We're looking for Him. Now last week, we found God and we found, and I kind of left Him in a bad place. That is not the place to leave God. We left him responding to the wickedness and the evil of his family, the nation of Israel. But I want to give you a flavor before we get going. I want to give you a flavor of where we're headed. So in Isaiah chapter 60, listen to this. We're not going to leave God there. We're going to find him someday. And this just gives you a taste. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in their arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will cover you, the young camels of Midian and Epah. All those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense. They will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. Look at the last couple of verses. Look at verse 21. Compare this to what we read last week in Isaiah chapter 1. It says, then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. That means that God will fulfill the promises that he gave them. It says, the branch of my planting, remember, he was a, a farmer that failed. Well, Look what happens now. The work of my hands that I may be glorified, the smallest one will become a clan, and the least one, a mighty nation, and he kind of puts an asterisk on it. He goes, I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help. Nothing good. And nothing right and true will happen today unless you allow and grant your Holy Spirit to speak to us. And I would. Father, would you have fun today? Would you represent yourself well? Would you draw us to you and let us see who you really are and rejoice? And go out here and let the world see Christ in us. Father, show us your word and show us you in it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked, we found God. And what did we find? We found that he gave us his name. This is personal, what he's going through. We found that he was speaking. We found that he is a person, and as a person, he has emotion. He feels emotions, and we saw these emotions coming out. He was a father. He was the Holy One. He was the Lord of hosts. He was the receiver of worship. He was a defender of the orphan and widow, and he was a judge offering mercy. But we saw right off the bat that something is wrong. When he spoke, what happened? It says they rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and they despised the word of the Holy One. If you looked at Isaiah chapter 5, it says his anger is not spent. It made him angry the way they treated his word. He is a father. What did he say about the sons that he reared up as a father? It says, sons I have reared up and brought up, but they have revolted against me. Proverbs tells us that when that happens, it brings sadness. So you have an angry God, you have a sad God, Then we found out Isaiah calls Him 25 times holy. He's called holy in verse 4, and it says, they have turned away from Him. What was the reaction to the Holy One? They despised the Holy One of Israel. Then another theme throughout the book of Isaiah, He calls Him 60 times the Lord of Hosts, which means that He's the Lord of armies, not here. The successful history of the Lord of Hosts is not found in Isaiah chapter 1 because he is not defending his people. Instead, he's letting a nation come in and destroy them. He is to be worshipped. He found no pleasure in their offerings. He called them worthless. He says they're an abomination. We even find out later that they're sacrificing to demons. And Deuteronomy tells us that when he saw Israel sacrificing the demas, he says, I am a consuming fire, I am a jealous God. God is jealous. The mighty one of Israel, he wants vengeance. He offers them salvation, they reject that salvation. The last thing we saw is it says that he's a farmer, and what does he get when he farmed? He found worthless fruit. That fruit is justice, he did not find justice in all of Israel. So what's going on? God started the nation of Israel. They came out of Egypt. They went in as a family of 70. They came out in the millions in about 1446, out of Egypt, B.C., 1446 B.C. 860 years later, roughly in that area, that's where we're at right now. Babylon is about to come, and they're about to destroy them. In about 605 B.C., they'll start three deportations. The nation of Israel will no longer be an autonomous nation. They will not be a sovereign Uh, in control of their own affairs. They will be dominated. And we will enter what Luke calls the time of the Gentiles. God shuts down Israel. And right from the very beginning, think about what has happened with them so far. They came out of Israel. He tries to take them into the promised land. What happens when he tries to take them into the promised land? They balk. They're too afraid to go in. God gets mad. He sends them out to the wilderness for 40 years. And what happens? They all die. Then what happens? He takes them into the land. He, he tries to give them the, the law. What happens when they come off the mountain? They're worshiping a golden calf. Okay. They go into the land. They finally make it in, and they start with a new generation. But if you watch the Je- book of Judges, it's up and down, up and down. Their history. They repent. They go back to sin. They repent. It's up and down. They finally they come up with a new program. They start a king. Okay. Saul's their first king. Saul is a disaster. But then they get David. David gets things going. Things are looking good. God makes some promises. He makes the Davidic covenant. There is coming a Messiah who will rule on the Davidic throne forever and ever, and everything will be great. But then here comes Solomon. Solomon gets off to a good start. What happens? (laughs) He introduces idolatry. God gets mad. He splits the kingdom. The top ten nations. The top ten tribes, a nation by themselves now, never in their history, never have one good king. God sends Assyria in 722, wipes them out. We're looking right now in Isaiah to what's left. Two tribes are left, Judah and Benjamin. I don't know what happens to Benjamin, but they have a few good kings. But even after seeing what happens to the top ten tribes, and we're going to be talking about that as we go through the book, they do the same thing. And that's where we're at right now. God has had enough. Israel, their program, has been a disaster. Now, I've got a question for you. Did God fail? Okay? God's reputation is at stake. So when he starts the Israeli program, does that mean that God failed? Now, if you have any idea, if you ponder that thought, that Isaiah is saying with what's going on here that God has failed you have come to the right book, because that's what this book is about. He is answering that question. Remember we left off last week and we said that the whole world is what? When they look at Israel and they're seeing them being deported off to Assyria and Babylon, Jerusalem is destroyed, and when Jerusalem is destroyed, what happens? The sacrificial system is gone, the Shekinah glory takes off, temple's gone, Where is the world now supposed to find God? Okay? So that's what the world asks. They say, where is your God? Now, they were supposed to, if you look at Isaiah chapter 2, this is what they were supposed to look at. Look at the first few verses of Isaiah chapter 2. After he introduces the problem, immediately, immediately he gives a prophecy. And in that prophecy, he shows what they were supposed to do. It says, now it'll come about in the last days. By the way, if you want to have some fun and you want to see something, I started doing this this week. Go through the book of Isaiah and just look for that phrase. In that day, in that day, it says it over and over and over and over again because that's the answer. There is another day coming, okay? You've got this day, but listen, God's answer is, So the question that we just asked, where is God? Listen, there is another day coming. I'm only up to chapter 14. I've already got three pages. That's how many times he says it. In that day, there's another day coming. So listen, we're looking at another day. And this is what he says is going to happen. Now it'll come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war? And I like verse 5. It says, Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What is the light of the Lord? The light of the Lord is the truth about God. If you want to know who God really is, God has to turn on the light. The light is the truth about God. Where do you find it? The day is coming. You're going to find it in Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where God is. The day is coming, and I get excited about this. It says that the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. You know who's going to be the teacher then? God. Jesus will teach the world himself, and he's going to teach about himself. And listen, he's going to be the best teacher you ever heard. He's going to teach us about him. The light is coming. And that's what he's talking about, okay? Now, how is God going to solve this problem? After the introduction of the first five chapters, and you see how bad it is in Israel right now, the very next thing he introduces us to, the very first thing he wants to tell us is Isaiah chapter 6. Turn there. God's answer starts coming in a real clear way in Isaiah chapter 6, and look what it says. Back up one verse, and it says and it will growl over it in that day like a roaring of the sea. One looks to the land, behold, there is darkness and distress. Even the light is darkened by its clouds. That's the final judgment right there. That's describing what's going to happen when Babylon comes down and wipes out Judah. Now, in contrast to that, here comes the answer, though. There's another day coming, and look what happens to bring about that day. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. Two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Now, what's God's answer to all of that? God's answer is Shiloh is coming. Remember in when the first time that man failed, God cursed Adam, but he gave the answer and he says, Shiloh is coming. This is Shiloh. He's the king of kings, and one of the things that God wants you to know about him is that he's holy. Now listen, I did something this week. If you want to know what holy means, uh, the word, start with the word different. He is not like you and I. He is very different. In fact, one of the themes, if you go through the rest of the book, he says, I want you to do something, world, compare anything and everybody to me. Is there anybody comparable to me, Jesus Christ? No. I'm different than you are, okay? So, he says, I am holy. Now, in this context, look at what he does. In he says that I want to see what he parks it up against next to. In the next verse, he says that I will be your. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, I lost it. He says in the next verse, he parks it in the chapter. I can't, I lost it now. But, anyways, he says that he parks it next to the fear of the Lord. In this context, he says that I want you to realize that I'm to be your fear and your dread, and I am your holy one. So in this context, he wants you to realize that he is a God who will judge sin. Now, I did something this week, and I had a lot of fun, and I, uh, I discovered something. And I want to read this to you, because what I did is I know that this is a theme throughout the book. So what I did is I took and I looked at every time God is called holy. Now, I want you to read this to you. He starts off with in where we're at right now, that God is holy and that I'm going to be your judge and that you need to be afraid of me because I don't tolerate sin. So I started there. And then as we go through, and I wrote down every time that God is holy, listen to something that changes. Now, when I read this to you, I want you to listen and see if you see the change, the same change that I saw. Just listen to this. Isaiah chapter 41, 14, it says, Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Two more chapters. Isaiah 43, 3, it says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 14 and 15, it says, Thus says the Lord, Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He calls him holy again in chapter 47. And he says, Isaiah chapter 47, verse 4, it says, Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. One more. Isaiah 48, 17, that says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Do you hear it? You see what's changing as the theme of the book, as he starts off with the Holy One here in chapter 1, as he gets through the second section of the book of Isaiah, he now adds something to that word holy. What has he added? He's added two words. One time he calls him Savior, but now he also, over and over again, he's not just holy, he's not the judge, the holy judge in the first section of the book, now he is the holy redeemer. Okay? Okay? Something is changing. Look at Isaiah chapter 49. There's something that happens that changes in this book. If you looked at the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, it's all about judgment. But when you get to the second section, the last 27 books of the book of Isaiah, the subject changes to salvation. Not only does the theme of the book change, the way the Holy One is identified, His name changes. Okay, now you divide those last, uh, the last twenty-seven books, divide them into three nine chapter sections. There's three different types of salvation that are coming. There is a salvation in the first nine chapters. We're talking about the last twenty-seven books. That first nine is a salvation from Babylon. The second section is salvation from sin. The last section is salvation from this cursed world. Salvation has to come first, but then comes the salvation of us and from the nation of Israel from this sin-cursed world. Now, before any of this has to happen, though, before... What we read in Isaiah chapter 60, where Israel finally becomes the light of the world, and what we read in Isaiah chapter 2, where all the nations are coming, something has to happen first. That holy one has to become the redeemer, okay? He has salvation, has to come to the nation of Israel. Before he can do anything with them, they have to be saved. We know when this is going to happen. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. There is a day coming when they are going to sing a new song. Now, listen. What happens to Israel after this? After they fail, we're going to come through a time when it's going to be all dark, but then Jesus Christ is going to show up. And what he does when he shows up is he's going to offer them the kingdom. When Jesus came, he preached the gospel, but listen, he didn't just preach the gospel. It says he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He was offering Israel what? He was offering to be their king. Daniel tells us that there is going to be another 483 days, years of judgment after their 70 years of captivity was prophesied by Jeremiah. We know the exact day he was coming as a king. The day was when Jesus, riding on the foal, rode into Jerusalem, and what happened? They all lauded him as a king. But what did Jesus do? He did not do what they expected. Instead of raising up an army and fighting Rome, what did he do? He goes in, and he doesn't fight the Romans. He fights them. He goes into the temple, and he wipes them out. He hates them their worship system, and he does the same thing he did at the beginning. He does it now. He destroys them. What do they do? What is their reaction to him? They, when he stands before the Roman government, they say, crucify him. They did not want this kind of king. Then they say something that to me, it just chills me to the bones, and it says, let his blood be upon us, and I don't understand the next one. It says, and upon our children. You know what? If you look at the history of Israel from then until now, it looks like God gave them exactly what they asked for because they have been a severely persecuted people since that time. So they reject him. But the Bible tells us that there is coming a day, and Zechariah 12 describes this to us, and it says that there's coming a day when the whole world is going to come and gang up against Israel. Things are going to be desperate. All the world is attacking. They're surrounding Jerusalem. Jerusalem is almost wiped out. It looks like the nation of Israel is going to stop to exist. What's going to happen? The lights are going to go out. Jesus Christ is going to show up in an explosion of light, and He's going to come and rescue them. And Zechariah tells us that there will be a spirit poured out upon the nation of Israel, and they are going to change. That is when they finally... Become what they're supposed to be. But what happens first? They repent. What they say and what they do is recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 53. It says they're going to mourn and they're going to sing a new song. What they mourn and what they cry out about is right here in Isaiah chapter 53. Look at this. This is the nation of Israel coming to salvation. It says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like the one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and listen to this, we did not esteem him. That is Israel admitting what they did to Jesus Christ when he first came. Now listen, they need to be saved. What is it that brings their salvation? It's the gospel. It is the gospel that brings their salvation. 1 Corinthians 15 says that the gospel is what? It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it says it twice, according to the scriptures. What scriptures was uh, Paul talking about? Right here. They call this the fifth gospel. This is where it describes that Jesus Christ would come, he would suffer. Look what it says. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced, through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By his oppression, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? There he dies. Why? For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. That's his death. Look, here comes his burial. His grave, grave was assigned with wicked men. And yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to death. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days. That's his resurrection. You can't see your your offspring unless you're alive. That's the death, burial, and resurrection. Nowhere in Scripture is it more clear why Jesus came. He came to die for your sins. Listen, Israel one of the reasons that they did not become saved is that God, they thought they did not need to be saved. If you realize that God is holy, one of the things that you need... If I'm talking to any religious people here, listen. If you're like Israel, you think you have a, a righteousness of your own. Do You know that when Paul was this, uh, talking about the gospel... He says that you need righteousness to be saved. Go read the book of Romans and notice that he modifies it though. He doesn't say just righteousness. He says you need God's righteousness. Your righteousness, just like Israel's righteousness, will not save you. They were the most religious people on the planet. Their whole society was nothing but religion. Offering sacrifices and incense and observing all these ordinances and festivals and feasts. And you know what? It did not save them. God hated it. If you think that you, in your own righteousness, have what it takes to face a holy God, you don't have it because you need something that a holy God requires. And that is not your righteousness, you need His righteousness. How does it come? It comes only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, once they get saved, things change. Let me run through this real quick. It says that all of Israel becomes saved at that time. Uh, and then what happens? Remember we left God, he was speaking. It's, listen to this. It says he was speaking, what happened? He was, nobody was listening to him. I'm going to read these verses and see, show you how things change. Isaiah 55:10 through 11. I'll run through this real quick because I'm almost out of time. Did God fail in his working with Israel? No. It'll happen exactly like it says. It says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth and it will not return to me empty, accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Everything that God says that would happen, it will happen. God is a father. Isaiah chapter 63, verses 50 and 19, it says they call him father. And if you want to have some fun, go read that. Because you know what they do? They start calling him a father, and the first thing it says, they start blaming him for what happened. Sounds like a t- typical son-father uh, relationship. But then, at the same time, they confess, hey, God, it was dad, it was our fault, okay? Anyways, they go back to their father. The despised father has a son. The Lord of hosts, He he wasn't defending them, but Isaiah chapter 63 says, Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? God will defend Israel one day. He was to be worshipped, but instead of worshipping him, what do they do? They worshipped idols. You know there's one thing that happened to Israel after Babylon. Never after that did they worship idols. It's explained here in the book of Isaiah that what God was doing, he was purging them. He did not get completely everything he wanted. But he got one thing. They stopped worshiping idols after the Babylonian captivity. <clears throat> it says that one day all mankind will come forth to bow down before me, not idols, in Isaiah chapter 66. He offered salvation. They rejected that salvation. But if you read Romans chapter 11, it says that all Israel will be saved. What he's talking about is that when he starts the millennial kingdom, and when we talk about in that day, In that day, a lot of times is referring to that millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ is the sole king of the government of the world. That day is coming. It is a Sabbath time. This earth will have a time of rest in the final days. And it says, in that day, everybody will come and worship him. Okay? We're going to talk about that a lot as we go through the book. He looked for justice. Isaiah chapter 60 says, one of the verses I read at the end, it says, and your people will be righteous. He's a farmer. Isaiah chapter 20 says, 27 says, in that day, a vineyard of wine, sing it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. Israel will bloom and sprout, and they will fill the earth with fruit. <clears throat> All those things that we left, God has, are now going to change. There is one thing, I've only got two, two minutes left, but let me... There is, remember we said as we went through this, we were looking for God, and we found Him. And I found eight different things, and I showed you who God was. But you know that there's one thing that I left out. I'm going to end with this. Um, Let me read these verses to you, and of all the things that we talked about as we're looking for God and who He is and what He's going through, there is one more thing, and listen, He says it three times. Now, if He says it three times, you need to listen listen to this. Isaiah chapter 2, enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the majesty. Verse 19, he says it a second time, men will go into caves of the rocks and into the holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to make the earth tremble. He says it a third time in the next two verses, in that day, in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and clefts of the hills before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty. Now, of all the things that we've talked about so far, this seems to be the one that is the most important in this introduction to Isaiah that he wants you to understand. You need to be scared of God. Now, right off the bat, when I was in school, I was looking for God. I wanted to know what the truth is, and... The only reason I'm here today is because of this. I wrote to a pastor friend of mine. I said, how can you know that what you say in front of people is right? And he taught me something. He sent me back. Actually, he sent me to the book of Isaiah. And one of the things he says, start here. We've talked about that before. If you want to get your doctrine right, and you want to know that what we talk about God is true, because there's a lot of different views out there about God, start here the first thing you need to know about God is what? You need to be afraid of Him. Now, there must be something going on here because as I started studying this, I found something out. One of the first things I found out is that people want to water down this word fear. They say fear means to revere Him, okay? Now, revere Him, that's a nice word. Yeah, you need to revere Him. But listen, this word, when you look through it, it means to be so scared that you lose all control. You are trembling and just out of your mind scared. Is that what God wants? Listen to me. You need to be scared of God, lost person, because if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and if you ignore the gospel that we just talked about in Isaiah chapter 53, he repeats this over and over again through the book of Isaiah. He will send you to hell. Now, listen, you think that's mean? Okay, aren't, isn't God a God of love? There is another thing. There is another thing that is repeated in the book of Isaiah. Go to chapter 5. Isaiah, of all the people in the Bible who saw the holiness of God and experienced the, we read about it in chapter 6, okay? He is the one, after experiencing the presence of God and almost becoming non existence because of the holiness of God, He's the one that writes about the terror of God, but listen to what he says. Let me sing a song of my, and you know what he says three times? My beloved, my beloved, my beloved. He understood the terror of God, but this man who understood the terror of God also said, I love him, I love him, I love him. Okay? They don't contradict each other. We're going to start with the terror of the Lord, but listen, we're going to learn to love him too. But first, lost person, religious person who thinks you're saved, but you're really not because you have your own righteousness, you need to be afraid of God. And that's one of the things he's trying to tell you. Listen, we, uh, Marilyn and I are working with a uh, four-year-old that we have, and we're working really hard at getting him to cross the street, but he needs to look, okay? Now, when he looks, he goes, okay, no cars, and he takes off, okay? Now listen, we try to explain it to him, okay? And then if he goes out and Luke, listen, you need to watch. And then if a car gets close, Luke, okay? You know what this is when it says, be afraid of the terror of God? It's like Luke and that truck is coming and he's not listening to us. Luke, okay? That's what God is doing here. He's not being mean. He's yelling, Israel, lost person, look out! The wrath of God is coming. If you don't listen, You're going to hell. And I'm trying to get your attention because you're ignoring me. Listen, I'm trying to save you. The terror of the Lord is the biggest thing he wants you to know. It is time to be afraid of God. But listen, we're also going to learn to love him. If you come and you see what Jesus Christ and the Father did for you, what he went through for you, this one who you're supposed to be afraid of, he really does love you. And he's trying to save him.